Welcome to Collier's Talks, a podcast series featuring the latest trends, insights, research, and developments in commercial real estate in Canada and beyond. Welcome to Collier's Talks. I'm Lisa Blacklock, Senior Vice President for Collier's Real Estate Management Services. You've tuned in for a great episode today. We're talking about flexible office space, or what we'll call flex space. What is the future of the office? This is a question dominating conversations within commercial real estate and in workplaces across the country. Every company is making decisions on the extent to which their office strategy will evolve with the rise of the hybrid work. Among these possible evolutions is the adoption of flex space. On this episode, we'll talk about the trends we're seeing, how companies are making decisions about the use of flex space, and of course, what we think the future holds. Now I'll say from the start, and I'm sure our guests will remind you, flex space is not new. It did not magically appear as a result of that pandemic. Did the pandemic shine a light on the possibilities of flex space? Absolutely. But its history is more interesting and its future is sure to be even more dynamic and is worth paying attention to. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by three experts who will help unpack this all for us. Experts whose passion for the subject had me hooked from our first conversation and who I know will inform and delight us today. First, I'd like to welcome my colleague, Sarah Bramley, Vice President of Collier's Workplace Advisory, who before the pandemic was advising companies on the shifting needs of workplaces and is busier than ever today, consulting on how to deliver employee experiences that enhance business performances and optimizes the real estate investment. Next, we have Wayne Berger, CEO for the Americas at International Working Group, or IWG, a role he's held for the past five years. With brands like Spaces and Regis and across 1,400 locations in North and Latin America, Wayne is helping people and organizations shift from workplace centricity to the ubiquitous world of work. And finally, we have Nick DeMarinas, Vice President and Head of Sales for the Atlantic Territory at WeWork, a role he's held for the past three years. Overseeing 11 markets from Montreal to Miami, Nick has a unique vantage point into what's working, what's not, and what companies can do to take full advantage of what FlexSpace offers. And as he sits in sunny Tampa right now, I'm trying to decide whether he's my favorite or least favorite member of this panel. So let's get started. I want to begin by talking about the trends our experts have been observing in the office market as a whole, and then we'll dig into FlexSpace a little bit more. Wayne, let's put you on the hot seat. What do our listeners need to know? I think it's a few things, Lisa. Number one, you're exactly right. So IWG has been operating for 34 years, and we've seen this world completely shift to how people are living, working every single day. But I'll be super explicit. What we're seeing immediately within 2022 and 2023 is, to me, the world has completely changed as we know it in how people live and work and what work means. People are working incredibly differently at this point. And we've seen this incredible acceleration of demand for uh, for a flexible workspace. Um, when I take a look across North America, and I'll, and I'll focus a bit on Canada, we've seen our demand increase by 40% pre-pandemic. And by the way, at pre-pandemic, we had 40 to 50,000 leads every single year just in people and companies looking for flexible workspace prior to the pandemic. That number's increased 40%. And the message is incredibly clear from companies and people. People want the ability and companies are providing that ability to work in a very flexible way. 
90% of companies have instituted flexible working policies. 90% of employees are asking, if not demanding, for it. And one of the biggest key areas, and there's a whole host of benefits, and obviously I may have a little bit of bias because it's what I do every single day, but I do it because I love it and I see the impact it has for people and the planet and for companies' profits. What's interesting is right now, the real key piece is, frankly, technology has become a remarkable innovator and it's untethering people. The idea of having to travel back and forth in long commutes to go to an office in order to put your phone and laptop down is now at this point becoming unsustainable. People want the ability to eliminate the commute. The commute's the number one enemy and technology is the key driver and health and wellness is really driving a key role. So you can see the numbers. I'm sure we'll talk about stats, but vacancy rates are on the rise, uh, especially in the downtown cores across the country, if not globally. But we're also seeing a tremendous amount of demand for flex space, both downtown, but also in neighborhoods, cities and towns across the country. It's mm -hmm. shifting how people are living and working. Oh, that's awesome. Nick, what are your what are your thoughts on the topic? Well, I, I think that's spot on, right? You know, WeWork was founded in, in 2010 with this vision to create environments where there's a community that comes together, right? So we talk about this idea of flex not being an overnight sensation since the pandemic, right? We've been we've had this world for quite a while and it, and, and you're right, it's this light's been shown on it. And I think when you think about aside from flex, when you see office trends right? There's so many companies out there from the freelance to the Fortune 10 that are still trying to figure out that return to office strategy, right? Yeah. They're still trying to figure out what does hybrid mean to us? And the biggest takeaway that I've learned from that is it's not either or, right? It's an and, right? This idea of there's an office, there's a home, there's also, I love the concept of a third workplace. There's a very consistent theme of kind of flight to quality, right? Okay. And yeah, yeah. if you look at vacancy and availability rates, and if you look at like a market like Toronto, like pretty well known to having a, a very, a very kind of uh, low vacancy rate historically, right? Yeah, Called yeah. two, three percent. And, you know, some experts are saying that availability, availability rates could be close to 20 percent. Right mm -hmm. now you're seeing kind of landlords and occupiers respond to that. You're seeing an increasing need for not just flight to quality, but to, to preserve capital right? For how can they get turnkey space, right. how can they have flexibility on term and, you know, speed to occupy. So um, it's it's an incredible time that's kind of, you know, continuing, continuing to evolve. Absolutely. In, in, throughout my work history, I know the walls went up, the walls went down, the, you know, the chairs went out, the couches went in, the phone booths went in, the food. Sarah, I'm sure you've seen some of this throughout your career, but I'm just curious as to what trends you've been seeing as well, especially, yeah. at, you know, pre and post. Absolutely. Um, and while you have all been talking, my brain has been like a pinball machine. Like there's so much there and so much I'd love to dive into and unpack. Um, but one thing that's interesting is that a lot of the clients that we're working with in the market over the past couple of years, less so maybe in 2023, but throughout, you know, since the pandemic till last year, 
they're much more focused on what's everyone else doing. Like nobody really wanted yes. to make a decision. Yeah. Um, and we've never mm-hmm. been asked so often for market scans, benchmarking, you know, what are our competitors doing in the market? Because people were so, you know, reticent to make a decision that wasn't founded on data. So they kind of wanted to know what everyone else is doing instead of having their own data. Unfortunately, there's not really a silver bullet, even within industries. It really depends on how your organization works. And um, that's why I have a job. <laughs> that's what we do is figure that out and help people come to solutions. Um, but it's been a really interesting, interesting time to be a workplace strategist. Um, Lisa, you mentioned at the beginning, this is none of this is new. Um, and it certainly is not. It I've been doing this for more than 10 years. Um, but the, the idea of we all just went through this huge pilot of working remotely, working in a hybrid manner. Um, it forced organizations who would never have taken the leap to try any of these concepts. Um, They were forced to do it and operate and some did a lot better than they thought they would. And now they're sort of wrestling with this idea of how do we, do we bring people back? How much office space do we need? What's the purpose of the office? These are some of the questions that we're working with our clients to answer. Um, And, you know, Return to office is a big topic of conversation. These large occupiers have these huge, beautiful offices and no one's sitting in them. Um, so how do you get people to make the commute? How do you earn the commute is something we've we've started hearing in the vernacular. Um, we like to think about workplace experience as having three key elements. So we talk about, and my, any colleagues of mine listening to this are rolling their eyes at me because I can't stop preaching about this, but it's make it easy, make it work, and make it worth it. So the experience Absolutely. has to be frictionless. It has to be simple for people to come in and get their job done. The space has to work. The technology has to work. The meeting rooms have to be easy to get into and set up. And it has to be fulfilling. So people really need those human moments, the things that we're really missing virtually. They need to have those types of things in the office. It can't be I commuted for an hour and I sat on Zoom calls and then I commuted for an hour home. Like you really need those sort of intangible um, interrelationships that need to be built in the office. Yeah, and you know what? If, if I was a tenant right now, I could lean on something or, or, or you know, companies such as WeWork and IWG to help me through this transitional, through this experimental phase. Like I can see, I can definitely see that fit there. I had ten thousand square feet before. Maybe now I only need five, and I can call my friends at I or at WeWork and IWG, and you know, get them to help me, you know, figure out where I'm going to land in the next three to five years. I think companies have struggled with this all along just based on their own business model, you know, as they expand and contract and then layering in this, you know, the what the pandemic has brought has brought that extra level of, um, you know, complexity to the to the whole issue. Um, I, I want to switch now. I want to go on to what flex space trends are, flex space trends. When we define flex space, we're referring to space outside of a company's core lease. Uh, there's sort of three sort of definitions of this. We, the first one, we have co-working, co-working space operated by a third party. Uh, space in an existing building that has been designated as flex space, accessible to all tenants and operated by the property manager. And the third one is something in between, uh, perhaps a short-term lease dedicated to a tenant um, and operated by the property manager or third party. So now, Nick and Wayne, I, I need to know, what gets you excited about flex space in Canada? And do the trends in adoption match your enthusiasm? I'm hoping you can cite any relevant statistics and perhaps give our listeners a typical and an emerging tenant profile for those that are adopting flex space. You know, I think that, you know, we think about flex as a subset of office. I, I personally get excited because 
it is it's such an important factor in the future of work right and and i think we spoke about this at some point we're going to have to drop the word future right like we're we're in it it's so it's no longer tomorrow like yeah. we're in this new world of work right and and flex is again it's it's a proven concept that is here it's being amplified and it's increasingly grabbing market share right if i think about you know the toronto market specifically we have a few different products right some of those are all access products, which is think of that like a passport gym membership, and then also on demand products. Those in um, in Toronto, for example, all access has increased 112% year over year. On demand has increased 70% year over year, while our occupancy in the Toronto market as it was 84% at the year end, right? So I'm excited about it because it's it's proven, right? It's what tenants want. It's what they need. And we're seeing this just continue to increase in all the different types of flex products, right? Not just um, for an individual user that needs to kind of get away from their barking dog, but these large enterprise occupiers that also need to access this level of flexibility. So I'm excited about it because there's so much validation. And when you think about, you know, the competition like we have on this call, other flex co-working providers, landlords getting into flex. For me, I think that's fantastic because it just provides validation, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of, you know, firms out there. There's some experts that that say, you know, 30% of the office market will be will be flex by 2030, right? I mean, we're totally on that trend. If you think about kind of like the similarities from, you know, uh, uh, retail and e-commerce, right? And that level yeah, of disruption. Yeah. Um, but I got to say, even just personally, like I'm a bad poker player. I can't get behind something unless I'm pretty passionate about it. I love the idea of the third workplace. You know, I spent a lot of time at my my head office and then I travel and I get to use kind of the hub and spoke model. I get to yeah. travel and use different WeWorks, whether it's Montreal or Raleigh-Durham. And I, I love the different atmospheres. But I, I also like maybe working from home on a Friday and playing some basketball with my twin boys when I have a break in the day. Right. And, you know, I love that I, idea of flex can mean so many different things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about the trends that are taking place, Lisa, and I agree with Nick. There's a few things. One, I firmly, firmly believe that, you know, flex working, hybrid working is is just going to be known as working before we know it. And, and I and I mean that in full sincerity. It's I look at what we do and what we accomplish. And I, I think about Canada, for example, in 2015, IWG operated 48 locations, flexible workspace locations across the country. Today, it's 140. Wow. So it's it's grown yeah. 3x over that period. In Toronto alone, we operate over 60 locations right, across multiple brands, different sizes, different approaches, different design, different locations, different type of building. It It's all and it's all frankly, to try to meet the need. And mm -hmm. I agree with Nick. It's I'm an absolute evangelist when it comes to flex. And the reason why is not because I work in the organization. It's it's because of what it offers companies, people. And I think also one of the big trends that we're not talking about enough right now, because frankly, we're we're in this world of unpredictability at the moment. If you think about it, we came out of a pandemic. We've all realized that Technology has been such an incredible innovator that untethers us, and we're able to accomplish so much away from a traditional corporate-centric office that now you have this chance to work and live differently. Your idea of productivity is completely shifted. 
And also you think about the humanistic elements, right? We still love to be around people. We're social beings, right? It's really critical for us to be able to have separation of home and office. It's, it, it's exactly right on the third place. We look at Flex as the third place destination, that opportunity for people, people to be able to gather. And what people are looking for is that avenue. And then as that takes place, now you overlay an economic situation that is murky. You've got you've got a threatening bank of collapse in the financials in, in the financial markets. You've got UBS taking over Credit Suisse. We've got SVB, you've got First Republic. That creates some shock waves throughout the economy. You still have rising inflation. Interest rates are still unpredictable in terms of what will take place. All of those elements come into play. Imagine, imagine if you are a corporate leader with a lease that's expiring in one year. Yeah. You start to think about what you're going to do, right? While you overlay what your people are looking for, which frankly is to get time back in their day, to be more productive for uh, to accomplish their goals. And then also to next point, if you want to be able to get home at a decent time and go shoot some hoops with your kids, I've got three kids. I love spending time with them. I've had more opportunity to have more dinners at home, even post pandemic, because my commute today is seven minutes versus what used to be a very convenient 42 minutes. Now it's seven. I can't even imagine traveling 42. So, so the trends have continued to shift. And I'll, and I'll share with you some trends that we're seeing. We're seeing our enterprise clients rationalize their real estate portfolio. And this is happening on a daily basis. Um, we deal with 82% of the Fortune 500 companies globally. Across the board, we're, we're sitting down with each one of them because they have a need that needs to be met, which is they've deployed a new strategy for, for roles and people who do not need to be in an office every single day. They want to provide them with a great place to work that makes sense and more purposeful for them. That could be home, but more often than not, it's somewhere close to home because only 11% of people want to work from home full time. It's not necessarily the destination of choice. It's great when it's convenient, but you want to be able to have access to a place that's closer to home that's more ubiquitous. So what we've seen is actually very similar numbers to what Nick was sharing. We've seen a doubling of our enterprise product, which basically gives people complete access to the network to be able to travel to any of the 3,600 locations and touch down and work in those locations as simple as accessing Spotify on their phone. It's all through one app. Right, so that level of freedom and flexibility has become incredibly important for organizations. Companies are shifting. The enterprise clients are rationalizing the real, real estate portfolio down. They're shrinking the size of the headquarters. If they have an opportunity, there is an absolute flight to quality. And they may may ascertain a, um, a another lease. But what's interesting is, what we're now seeing in the market is 24 to 36 months of tenant incentive. It, the numbers have dramatically increased. And these are in markets like Toronto and Vancouver, right? which were traditionally some of the strongest, tightest real estate markets. So we're mm -hmm. seeing that come under play. But companies still want to move from this idea of this headquarters, shrinking down, flatter to quality, and then the hub and spoke, uh, the yeah. hub and spoke, mental, which we've all talked about, yeah. but is actually taking place where they're now overlaying an opportunity for their employees to work across 
across a range of locations, depending on the neighborhood they live, the city they live, the province, or even the country. And another key trend we're seeing um, over the last two years is the mid-cap companies, the companies that are, let's say, 10 to 100 people. Many of those companies are actually starting to shift out of the dedicated lease into a flexible workspace model, taking a certain subset of space, 5,000 square feet, 7,000 square feet, designing that as their new, let's call it headquarters, and then overlaying hub and spoke because, because things are still too unpredictable and because they're able to reduce their costs. And the last trend we're seeing is if you look across Canada and the U.S., a large percentage of our trend, of our sorry, of our demand used to be in the traditional CBDs. And and then we always had a strong presence in the suburbs as well as well as the urban neighborhoods. Like when you think about Toronto in in the Junction, in Queen West, in Yorkville, right up the subway line, et cetera. But now what's happening is we're seeing demand scale out into what have traditionally been non-office markets. And I'll give you a really good example. We're opening a new HQ location in a place called Truro, Nova Scotia. And I don't know if anybody on this call has heard of Truro. I hadn't until about a year and a half ago. It's a town of 14,000 people. And it's in in kind of the heartland of Nova Scotia that actually acts as a gateway to um, Halifax and Dartmouth, a market that we do very well in. That town of 14,000 people has a large percentage of its residents who drive 91 kilometers each day into Halifax and Dartmouth. So we've started pre-selling in that market. We open up in about a month. The demand has surprised us in terms of the number of people who are looking for that third place and now are able to eliminate a multi-hour commute every single day and also gas savings, et cetera, from driving 180 kilometers but they don't necessarily want to work solely from home. They'll go to Halifax and Dartmouth on occasion when it's very purposeful. It leans over to what Sarah mentioned, which is make it worthwhile. That's what we're mm-hmm. seeing in terms of trend. Companies are bringing people back together when it's worthwhile and Absolutely. overlaying a work strategy that's very purposeful and ubiquitous the other time so you can eliminate the commute. Yeah, it just it sounds great. And I love Nova Scotia. And it, I, I know Halifax right now, there's major um, campaigns to 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 draw people out there. And a lot of people are going out there. And it's, and it's super exciting that you're expanding. It's, it's just awesome to hear. Um, and Sarah, just curious, what are some of the most common motivators for companies incorporating flex space as part of their space strategy? If you can just enlighten us from the next 30 to 60 seconds on that. Yeah, so... I mean, there's lots of reasons that people would choose to incorporate FlexSpace into their strategy, depending on their unique situation. Um, we work with clients from 40 people to 40,000 people. So obviously the motivations are very different um, along that scale. Um, but I mean, for me, one of the most interesting and important ways that people use FlexSpace is kind of as a playground. Um, if if you have, you know, 200,000 square feet and you're thinking of employing a new strategy, but you don't want to, you know, make that huge capital investment and redo your entire space for have it to have it not work, you can go to a third party place and like try a different layout, try different types of furniture, try different types of, you know, teams working together and interacting. And so it's a way that you can pilot and test elements of a strategy and see if they'll work for you. It's also really um, convenient for companies who have um, major like growth 
on a short term. Like we work with media companies who have who staff up for shows. We work for with tech companies who have like big software development teams that come together for six months on a project. And rather than you know subleasing sub, sub a floor for two years, you can go into flex space um, on a shorter contract. So there's lots of ways that companies can incorporate flex space into their overall strategy. Oh, that's awesome. Um, all right. So Sarah, we're going to keep you here. We just talked about common motivators. Now let's talk about common misconceptions. Mm. So what are the common misconceptions that our building owners, landlords, and our tenants may have about flex space? I think what we've seen, um, the biggest gap is really in education um, and experience. So we've talked to companies who who hear the names um, of the big, you know, flex space companies and they think of it as like rent a desk. Oh, that's just for somebody who, you know, it's a, a startup who doesn't want to work out of their basement anymore and they want to see other human beings while they're working on their individual thing. Um, so educating clients that it there, it can be a lot more than that. Um, it can be, you know, you could have an entire floor, you could have multiple floors, you could have a corner of a space, you can brand it. Like there's lots of different things that you can do to make it your own and not simply just, you know, I pay my $200 a month and sit at that desk in that corner <laughs> with the view of the the street down below. So I, for me, it, it's more about exploring those options and making sure that clients understand what flex space can do for them. So something along the same lines, when, when you're advising your clients as to how much space should be allocated to flex, to flex space, what factors should we consider? Well, there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, a, a huge output of our entire discovery and research process is how much space do you need? Um, but often we get to the point when we have a big spreadsheet of scenarios and we have levers that we can pull um, and those levers will really significantly impact the amount of space that they need. So, you know, if there's certain groups um, within the organization that don't necessarily fit the mold, or if there's certain, you know, areas where they want to explore further, um, we can kind of peel that piece off and look at it separately. And maybe that's the piece that goes into flex space. So for instance, that we work with financial institutions and a lot of them have these, you know, the, the digital development teams who develop the apps and things like that. They work in a very different manner than the rest yeah. of the bank. Um, and in fact, we've been brought in because they, their productivity, efficiency, effectiveness in those digital banking groups were so um, greatly impacted by working in traditional sort of cubicle open office environments designed for the rest of the bank. Um, they're like, we need a whole different strategy. So something like that, where we can take a specific business unit, department, um, team that works a certain way and, and look at those different options, we found is really, can be really effective with FlexSpace. I think that's, that's so spot on. Sorry, Wayne. I think it's so spot on because once you get past the education, it, it's then thinking about like, what questions do we need to ask ourselves, right? What are we trying to solve to, right? Because to Sarah, to your point, um, we're still kind of, even though Flex has been here for a while, we're still in education mode, right? There's still, it's so, I, you know, it, it's it's crazy how, how often we still have potential new members come in and they think that the only option is to work in the community area among other entrepreneurs. And that's totally fine, right? And that's a product we offer and that is um, you know, an, an incredible part of our business as well. But this idea that 
Um, you know, if I think about Toronto and Montreal, we have members that have full floors, some members that have full buildings, right? And they have the dedicated entry, they have signage, they have branding, right? They have, um, you know, an OPEX menu, they get to choose what kind of operating service they want. And, you know, that misconception of we can not only provide you turnkey space that is smart about how to deploy capital and flexible on term, but also gives tenants the, the identity that they're looking for, right? We have a building opening in a few months at 357 Bay in Toronto and Heritage Assets, 60,000 square feet. We, we have the full building and we're so excited about it because of the offering we're able to bring to the market. And I think Sarah, to your point, you know, in terms of like when you're advi advising clients, um, you know, percentage of allocation, there's no, there's no silver bullet, right? Hey, you should have 32% of your portfolio. Like that's probably not the right approach. And I wouldn't believe anyone that told me that, but again, asking the questions and I kind of think about it in two parts. I think about questions around the risk management approach and the talent management approach. Right. And I like to start with the talent management side, right? I came from eight years at LinkedIn prior to WeWork. So I've always been in this kind of talent future of work um, kind of uh, arena and, you know, the talent management side, Sarah, to your point, like, who's the user group using it? How often do they need it? How do they want to work? Where do they want to work? Right. Asking all those questions on the talent management side. And then further to Wayne's point, you know, you have to couple that with the risk management questions. Right. And risk management is a pretty hot topic these days. You know, like how much space do we need? How often do we need it? What are our headcount projections? Right. What does this mean for our PL? So I think that, you know, when when we talk to a lot of our occupiers, small and large, we try to really focus in those two areas, right? Talk us through your talent management approach. What are the questions? Let's try to solve those together. And let's talk through the risk management approach, right? What matters to you? What are you trying to solve to, for there? Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it kind of leads you to some of the decisions they need to make in certain markets. Can I have one point to your question earlier to Sarah, which is the misnomers around flex space with building owners. It, I speak with building owners almost on a daily basis. Um, and, and the reason why is we've been under we've been undergoing a very significant um, expansion strategy. Uh, to give you an idea, we we signed 462 new locations last year alone. Be, because the world is shifting so dramatically, Nick mentioned it earlier, and I absolutely believe in this that you know commercial real estate will become 30 flex will become 30 percent of commercial real estate by 2030 and it's still only under five percent it's really remarkable when i started in the industry in 2014 usually when i spoke with a colleague a journalist a friend a family member their first question was always what is this co-working concept phenomenon you have to explain it right it, even to building owners and and then obviously we went through this level of maturity and uh, and here we are today, um, close to ten years later, and it's becoming a primary solution for organizations for all the reasons that we've been discussing today. Um, but what's interesting is there are still some real misnomers. So um, if we look at the four hundred and sixty two locations that we signed last year, four hundred and twenty of those are partnerships with building owners who own buildings who are partnering with us moving forward not under a conventional lease, under a management agreement to share in the profits. And what's in the reason why you hear all the questions, there's this con there's this notion that that this is easy, that 
design it, make it look like a really nice space is a really nice we work. People will come and you manage it effectively and have some events. What's interesting is this design is one element. Location is one element. This is a hospitality business, right? This is a business that requires minute by minute management. This is a business that is underpinned with a with booking systems and platforms and and management and technology components to support companies' individual accounts to ensure that members can check in and out. They can design space custom or take space turnkey to next point, overlay their 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 company organization, their their um their approach, their culture, their signage, right through to ensuring that when somebody's traveling, regardless of where they're going, Saskatoon, Maple Ridge or 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 Dartmouth, that they're checked in and they get the same experience every single time. Right. It's it's the heightened level of customer experience that's underpinned through major infrastructure surrounded not by the one, two or five people working in the center. But if you look at WeWork and IWG combined, a, a total combined workforce of 20,000 people, right? all focused on the client experience. It's so it's so much beyond put some nice booths, have a great have a great club space and then have some offices but there's actually a significant amount of work and methodology behind behind monetizing the space there's a certain ratio of space you need to actually allocate for private offices versus club space there's a lot of work that goes into the design the delivery the construction and then the day-to-day experience right of making sure that you can attract new people to the space and then also ensure that you can manage their experience right from account specifics right through to what their expectations are every single day. And I can promise you right now, uh, across the IWG locations in Canada, there are 150. There are probably probably dozens, if not 100 people, talking about how their office is too hot and too cold and somebody needs to go fix it. Right. So there, it's a real customer experience that happens. And the last piece I'll make mention, this industry, commercial real estate, is going through the same type of fundamental shifts that we've seen in other industries in the past that are becoming more service-based. Yeah, I'd awesome. love to jump on that if I could just really quickly. When we're thinking about employee experience, I 100% agree, Wayne, with everything you just said. Um, when we think about experience in real estate, we talk about buildings that are like C, B, A, AAA. Yes, yes. That's fine for leasing. But when you're talking about user experience of an employee coming in, it's more of a a hotel. Is it a five-star experience? Is it a four-star <laughs> experience? It's about feeling like your needs are met and that you, it's, you know, it's about that um, hands-on white glove concierge type of experience more so than are the windows triple glazed, but that's important. <laughs> um, but that's not what you're going to remember as a user. Sorry, Lisa, back to you. Yes, Sarah, it's so true. You know, you know, it's funny that one of the biggest trends we're seeing, Lisa, in terms of demand from our organization is We've actually started to see this in Canada as well as around the world. This real accelerated need um, for for IWG or the or the FlexSpace provider to actually take over the lobby experience. Right. So this real opportunity to now convert the lobby. You know, there was there was a time in this business where having a FlexSpace was about being the top floor of the top building 
overlaid and beautiful views. Now, actually, it starts from the ground up, right? Having yeah. a spaces or a Regis or, or a WeWork on the ground level. So as people walk by, there's an instant attractiveness. There's a vibe. There's a feeling that people want to be part of. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with you, Wayne. Uh, it's something that we've been focusing on um, at, within REMS quite extensively. And uh, we've actually done some great work at Royal Bank Plaza. One of one of the more recent ones that we've done is your the the, um, the tenants walked in and they were able to get their hair trimmed and their nails uh, tidied up and a little bit of massage. And at first when we were rolling this out, it was like all in the lobby and it was uh, really tastefully done and extremely well received. And a number of the comments from the tenants were, if I knew, you know, is are you gonna be here tomorrow? Tomorrow, uh, you know, because clearly it was a, it, it was something that they were interested in, in coming back for. If one day they wanted to get the haircut, the next day they wanted to get them, the, you know, the the Manny Penny experience sort of thing. So yeah, I totally agree with you, Wayne. Um, it's actually pretty exciting because you know, it, at one point you never would have envisioned lobbies being so animated and activated. So we we uh, we looked at it as a challenge and um, have been having a lot of fun with it and great tenant feedback on that. And we should be doing it if we're going to yeah, ask absolutely. people. We're going to ask people to emit CO2 by commuting, and we're going to ask people to take time out of their day, and we're going to ask people to spend the money. Let's make it a destination, not unlike what you do to go to a Leafs game or go to a great restaurant. Downtowns are all, they're vibrant, right? We need them to become more that live, work, play environment, and we need to make sure that if we're going to ask people to travel, let's make it of value. Now, the the fair point is, only so many, there's only so much capital to go around to be able to deploy that across across all locations. So that's where the power of partnership needs to come into play. So at least we can all help support that need that really drives a destination for commuters. You know, that's a good segue into my next question. With regard with the rising demand for FlexSpace, as, as we've all been talking about, um, how has it changed your approach to the capital side? What are some of the different creative approaches that we that that you've now been using with landlords? Well, here's what we're doing. So one, pre-pandemic, we used to invest a billion dollars a year in capital, in leases and construction capex. Um, What we're doing now is, frankly, we've completely shifted. We're still investing a billion dollars a year, but we're investing that in a few key areas, technology, platform development. Our goal is really simply to build the Airbnb for commercial office space. That, that's the goal, because the reality is there's a need. People are looking at space very differently today, whether it's the largest Fortune 500 companies or people that are launching their startups. So we're investing in people, technology, capital, uh, and sorry, and uh, and platform. All those areas are real and, and sales and marketing because the demand continues to grow. And frankly, to Sarah, Nick, and your point earlier, Lisa, there's still, even though there's a maturity level that's growing in flex, it's still it's still early. It's rem- yeah. we're still at the bottom of the first inning. It's really remarkable. So 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 we've shifted the capital, but we're growing. We have to go to faster rate because the demand is continuing to exceed supply. So we've we've ventured in with essentially all of our new locations under a partnership agreement where we're working with the largest institutional developers right through to individual building owners on on a management agreement in which the partner who has empty who has vacant space in their building we're taking that space we're designing it together we're activating we're, we're opening up a uh, an IWG location and the building owners invest in the capital like they would be with TIs or capex and then from there we basically collect a management fee 
and we recoup the center operating costs, the staffing and everything else on the day-to-day, every other penny goes to the partner, goes to the building owner, taking mm-hmm. vacant space, activating that. And then from there, outside of the capital, they deploy in order to turn that vacant space into a Regis or a space or an, H- or an HQ. We're making it incredibly simple because the reality for us is we want to grow from 1,400 locations in North America to 10,000 locations. There's not enough capital, frankly, anywhere in order to do that at the time frame we need to. We need to partner with building owners. And the reality is vacancy rates are continuing to increase. There's more space available. That's That's not just shell, but actually currently built out. And it doesn't need to be former co-working space. It is consultant space, recruiting space, finance space, um, large amounts of space that's out there today from companies rationalizing that's currently built out that we can convert into great flexible workspace. So the partnership um, the partnership approach is where we've been incredibly successful since we launched it back in 20, January 2022. Yeah. So, so Nick, how does, how does your model compare to what Wayne's just uh, outlined for us? Yeah, look, I think there's some similarities in how we're thinking about the business and how we're thinking about growth, right? If you look at WeWork, we are across 779 locations um, in 39 countries, right? And we're hyper-focused on the performance of our portfolio, but we're also, you know, as we look at growth, we're looking at responsible growth, right? We're looking at responsible ways to deploy our capital. And um, we have a lot of, you know, whether it's management or rev share, like alternative structures, right? We have those in place already, and we are having a lot of positive conversations about um, about about future partnerships as well. So that's certainly where we're spending, you know, some time in terms of like you know additional growth across our portfolio. But you know, I think similar as Wayne kind of speaks to technology, we put a a, a lot of emphasis on that, and that came in the form of a very um, you know, specific product as well. We work workplace, which we launched and is it's really a space management and desk booking platform, right? And in terms of like, you know, the model that's starting to work best for us is this idea of the three legs of the stool, right? That that we have this private office concept and this private office product. We have these access products, which are very flexible and allow kind of this um this more flexible use of, of all the locations. And then this we overlay this software, WeWork Workplace, that allows the right user experience to be able to book desk and understand who they're working with and when I want to work. And also the, the decision makers access to data and utilization. So as we focused a lot on like, um, yes, our physical portfolio, but also the technology that allows it very um, easy for the users to be able to, to to book space, but also the decision makers to understand how are they how are my teams actually using the space. That's how the, this trend of companies using the three legs of the stool for us are really tying it all together, right? Because they have this kind of this hub of private office. They then distribute these access passes to all these people that may be in different cities or remote, but they need a place to work. Yeah. And then we provide this software. That creates this great experience for those users, but also finally gives the decision makers access to, you know, another level of data to understand how are we using it and what decisions can we inform, whether that's risk management or talent management, and really kind of brings those together. That's great. Thanks, Nick. Everything's evolving so quickly. How do you foresee the value proposition of FlexSpace evolving? Just wanted to close with some of your comments on that. 
Oh, that's a big question. I know. Um, that's why I yeah, booked the, ended here. <laughs> the doozy at the very end. No, I think um, it just building on everything that we've heard, I think it's it's all about delivering those exceptional employee experiences and the ability of FlexSpace to maybe be a little bit more nimble um, and adaptable than sort of a traditional five, 10 year office lease um, is going to be hugely valuable to organizations who are a little bit you know, cautious of making uh, the wrong long-term decision. Um, So I think the ability to really, as Nick just said, study and understand that experience to quantify it. We do a lot of post-occupancy evaluation, like, okay, we built the thing. How is the thing working and how do we improve? Um, So the ability to do that sort of rapidly um, over time in these flexible spaces, I think is the data would be invaluable. And everything from, is it easy to book a desk to, are the chairs comfortable? Like, what's the light like in the afternoon? Like, we we go to that level because anything mm-hmm. that's impacting the employee productivity experience effectiveness is just ultimately not good for a business's bottom line. So space is supposed to be an enabler. And I think the more that we can study and test and evolve that over time and be flexible, um, the the better for everyone involved. Well, I hate to say it, but that's all the time we have. A special thank you to Sarah, Wayne, and Nick. It's no wonder you're the go-to experts in your field. You're elevating the conversation of flex space in the office market. And as companies determine the extent to which their office strategy will evolve with the rise of hybrid work, you're giving them the insights they need to be successful. And finally, thanks to everyone who tuned in. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Collier's Talks podcast. To learn more about Collier's Canada, our experts and our solutions, visit colliers.canada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.